Hey, you guys smell that? It smells like a bowl game. In Florida State's future, perhaps. <laughs> the Seminoles beat Syracuse 27-24 to on Saturday, and uh, looks like the team maybe uh, maybe have the, the ammunition to go bowling after all. We'll talk about the possibility of that later on in the Knowles 24-7 podcast. But first, let's talk a little bit about what we saw on Saturday. I'm Brendan Sinone. Joining me today, Chris Nee, who is typing very, very quietly as not to disrupt the podcast because he is a grinder and must work while podcasting, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. No, just just being transparent. And uh, Bob Ferrante joining me as well. Say hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. All right. What did you guys learn? It was a rousing 27-24 to 24 win. Cam Akers, if they didn't have him right now, it'd be what, 1-6, 1-7? Inches. I learned some of the same lessons we already knew. <laughs> this, this was... In many ways, a groundhog day for Florida State from some other games this year. The difference being is they won. Uh, it had a lot of shades of, of Louisville to it. Had some of, uh, yeah, had had some of Miami to it. Uh, but credit the team for finding a way to get stops at the end of the game. They they tried they tried to give it to Syracuse. Uh, it was clearly a you know an inferior opponent in terms of, of talent, but they found a way to uh, to keep it to keep it close. And you know, if you're a Florida State fan, I think that's still reason for concern. Uh, the team. Did seem more engaged. They did try harder. We saw at the end of the game. This is the one thing I think I took away, guys. Is, is that you know, they showed signs of life. They did care after the game when they won. They stormed the field. Like that's not great that you're storming the field after you beat a four and four football team. Let's just you know that, put that out there. That that isn't ideal, but that's where you are if you're Florida State right now. Uh, is you're taking any kind of victory you can get. So with that in mind, uh, players were talking about this game being a turning point. I'm not sure I can, can buy into that, but, but for a team to have confidence, that, that does mean something, right? Like, I don't think that's something that we just completely dismiss. It doesn't mean all your problems are fixed, but you know, it's much better than just getting the shit beaten out of you like they did a week ago. Saying turning point is a narrative and nothing more. Well, it's what we do. We're journalists. You, you we spin narratives. Game. One game in a row. You currently have a one-game winning streak. You've won three of your last eight. I mean, it, it is what it is. Here's the thing. Syracuse ran 95 plays, and, yes, Syracuse is going to put up a lot of plays on you. But FSU did a horrendous job of getting them off the field. Terrible. I believe 11 for 25 was final tally on third down. Bob's our, our third if, down official. If you look at the third and it? long numbers, yeah. Syracuse gashed them on third and long. And I'm not talking getting nine yards when they needed eight. I'm talking about Eric Dungy's ass running free down the field for about 30. They're, they're not a very good football team. Yes, they won. That's a good thing. It's something you take away. Guys like Derek Naughty, Josh Sweat, Derwin James, Cam Akers all played very well, all deserved praise. Logan Tyler, again, very well. Ricky mm-hmm. Aguayo did his job. There are highlights to take away from that game. But at the end of the day, that game came down to the final possession, mm-hmm. a missed field goal, in a game where the best player for the opposing team didn't play for a healthy amount of the first half. It, I don't take much away from it. I take away that I'm glad they won good during the bowl discussion for the fact that that bowl streak does matter to a lot of people that have come through these hallways. But at the end of the day, the issues that FSU have didn't go away because they had three more points in the opposing yeah. team. And that's something that we've talked about before is even if they had beaten Louisville, if they hadn't, you know, if there hadn't been that fumble, um, the issues that they have still are there. And that means the strengths that they have are, are, are still there as well. But right now I think this is a team that, that seems, for, for what it has talent-wise, has many more flaws than it does have strengths. You look at some of the statistics of where they are nationally on you know total offense – uh, scoring efficiency in the red zone. Uh, we'll talk about third downs, Bob, here in a second because I know you've done done a couple uh, things on that so far. 
just not an efficient football team, not a very disciplined football team, uh, not a super physical, gritty one. Uh, they played fairly hard on Saturday, and, and I think that helped, but this just isn't a good football team, especially when you consider the, the raw talent that they have. There was some good blocking, I felt like, at times for Cam Akers, but a lot of those runs he created on his own. Like, he, he would slip yeah. through a tackle and he would get downfield. There was some good uh, wide receiver blocking, I thought, at times, too. Armand Lane is, is to be credited, I think, for some of that, too. You know, but if you didn't have Akers, I think that game is a, is a pretty easy loss. He he really put the team on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the folks didn't like that I compared him to Cook. I think what I, the comparison I was trying to make was he put the team on shoulders like and said, the, we are not going to yeah. lose this game today. Well, players I am compared to him to, to Cook. Like uh, Derwin James compared him to Dalvin Cook. And Derwin James does know Dalvin Cook better than any three of us or any of the fans that would be criticizing your story. So I think... And it's not truly a running style. I'm not saying yeah, his running no. style is identical in any way. They're I'm very different. Dalvin had that insane burst. Well, Cam's more physical right. vision back. Well, Dalvin also obviously had vision. But, yeah, there's differences. But I think the parallels were because, one, both of them broke out against Syracuse. Yeah. That's the first thing. Dalvin did that to kind of get his freshman year going. And, obviously, Cam did that. Cam's now third all-time for freshman rushers at FSU. He trails a guy named Dalvin Cook. And then there's also Allen in between him and Cook. So, you know, I, I think that's where the comparisons came. I don't think there was any large jumps being made by media or players on this team that Cam Akers and Dalvin Cooks are clones one another. I think it's a matter of they both can do what they can do, which is huge haymaker, big plays, put points on the board. And, you know, Cam got kind of pissed when his quarterback got lit up. And you know what he did the next play? He housed it. Yep. That's a little something. Dalvin used to kind of be one of those guys where, you know, when you need that big moment after something, he usually brought it. So, I think that's where the comparisons go, but I'll let you get back to your point, Bob. No, I, I just think, you know, Force State needed some kind of spark. And like you said, they needed to show signs of life. They mm-hmm. needed to show that they weren't done. And for all of this team's warts, and there are so many of them, there were enough positive signs from individual players where you saw the pieces starting to come together. You did see the, the care and the energy from a large group of players. And who knows how this thing is going to play out. I still think after Clemson, they've got a good chance to not just beat Delaware State, but to take care of a bad Florida team, beat Louisiana Monroe, and look, nobody's going to say this season is salvaged at 6-6. Six and six. It's certainly not. It doesn't look good, but I think this team needs some kind of positive, especially for the younger players moving forward, moving into 2018 with what's going to be a new staff. We need to see some positive, some momentum. Mm-hmm. I, I- Going on the – did you have something to add to that, Chris? Well, I was just going to say the counter-argument people are going to have to that last part about going 6-6 six and six and playing a ball is why not just end it and get the changes done here. And it, it's – I don't think – I forget how Dino said it, but he said something like, you know, there's two calls you can make and either one can be good. I think in this situation it's kind of the same. You know, those extra practices do benefit young guys on that team. Even if it's by coaches, they're no longer going to be coached by. It still benefits a player to have more practice instead of less practice. Definitely, yep. And it also benefits the school to play in a ball because that ball streak matters to a hell of a lot of people. I'm not talking about the 2017 Seminoles. I'm talking about the 1987 Seminoles. I'm talking about teams throughout those years, that team that beat Maryland to hang on to it. People were up in arms in 09 when FSU beat Maryland because they kind of wanted the snakes had to be cut off then and there, and they still had to play a ball. You know what? That ball matters to a lot of people. It matters to the kids that played in it. It matters to the people that came before them. That's what 
I think people lose sight of that. I understand that the season's miserable and I can't wait for it to be over. I'm in that boat entirely. I don't enjoy covering this team. It's not real fun. I was in my bed at 8.20 a.m. on Saturday morning and really did not feel like rolling over and getting out of it, to be perfectly honest. But bowl streak matters. At the end of the day, when it comes down to rescheduling Louisiana Monroe and potentially playing that bowl, if they are to make it to 500, it does matter. Let's, while we're talking about it, we were going to save this for the end, but while we're on topic, we expect them fully to announce that ULM will be rescheduled for that December 2nd slot. And, and we're recording this podcast at 11 a.m. on Monday. Um, by the time a lot of you probably listen to it, it may already be reannounced. Yeah, and I, I or think, announced, rescheduled. I, think it I don't know. Largely came down to one winning on Saturday and two, it was Stan Wilcox's decision at yeah. the end of the day. From, from what we from what we do know, uh, yes, this is Stan Wilcox's uh, decision. I think uh, President Thrasher was on board with this as well. I think some in Seminole boosters probably didn't want this. Yeah, financially, it's probably not great. You're you're not going to have great attendance. I don't know if it's going to be the the risk first reward with the cost of having that game really is going to help you out a lot. And let's be honest, I think Florida State going to a bowl game that's you know going to be a, yeah, as a 6-6 six and six football team, 7-5, and five, whatever, uh, it's not going to be a great bowl game and probably won't get a lot of their money. They'll probably lose money on tickets for that bowl game too. So, so what we're talking about is, is they're putting in you know, the long term of this program to continue that streak, like Chris said, to give those players the, the experience of the bowl game, extra practice, uh, they're putting that over financials right now. And that, at least to me, I think that shows how this program, this athletic department, this university is viewing the bowl streak and to have a chance to have a winning record and continue that. Is that fair? Is that I'm saying accurate? I think so. And I think also, you know, Jimbo's ego is in play here too. He hasn't had a losing season, I don't think, since 1998 at Auburn when, when, when Terry Bowden was, was dismissed <laughs> midseason. So he's had a lot of success, success after that, Cincinnati going to LSU with Nick Saban, um, you know, then coming here. Of course, he had to help. He was part of that 2009 team that had to salvage getting to a bowl game and having a winning record. I don't think Jimbo would appreciate the way this season looked like in August when you were a potential preseason playoff team and then you maybe finish five and six without playing ULM and don't go to a bowl. I think it leaves an awful taste in your mouth, and he doesn't have any momentum going into the offseason. I think – we will hear Jimbo in the offseason say things like, look at how this team bounced back in November. And nobody's going to really believe it or buy it. But he's going to use shit it out of Delaware in State. recruits. He's going to use it in the recruiting trail. He's going to talk to boosters about it, how this team bounced back from two and five. And I'm not saying I agree with it or, or would even say that's, that's a good thing for him to do, but I think he will do it if given the opportunity. He has to believe that if he's – yeah, I mean, that's – People also need to see changes. I mean, it, I think there is a very, very, very small fragment of this fan base that would not, you know, grab a pitchfork if FSU did not make changes. So, oh, that, and I'm not talking one change. I'm talking multiple. You're changes. talking three I'm or four different personnel program changes. redirection, resetting yeah. it. You know, that, but, need, that needs to be done regardless of how they finish yeah, at this point. And the truth is, people are like, you can't make changes if you're playing a bowl. Nah, disagree with that. You might not be able to change the DC that you eventually mm-hmm. want to change. But you can run a guy or two out of town and get a new body in here. And plus, the other side of that is when you're hiring new coaches, hopefully you're hiring talented, good coaches who are coming from good programs that are doing things, you may have to sit and wait for those guys. They may have a bowl game. So there's no sense in being needlessly self-destructive towards yourself by skipping out on bowl if the opportunity exists to do so. Yeah, I I agree. Um, 
Would it be a better st- storyline if FSU loses to Louisiana Monroe or beats Louisiana Monroe to get bowl eligible? Like, what would be would be more entertaining? Well, the Louisiana Monroe <laughs> thing is kind of wild because they can put up points. I know they and can. FSU struggles <laughs> to put up points, so it's not like it's just an automatic W. I mean, it should be, but not. It, what is an automatic W other than Delaware State? Like, like Flor- Florida's a dumpster fire, but that's a rivalry game at Florida. Like you know, yeah, then nothing's they, an automatic W. That's, so they're rescheduled. So that's kind of what's interesting is they're likely going to announce this, and you still have to go out and win three out of yeah. your next four. Is that is my math right off the top of my head? Yeah, three out of yeah. So they can I, afford. They have they're on the knife's edge, and they can afford one loss, which are probably going to get delivered to them. Like this Clemson. Weekend. So then you have to go perfect the rest of the way. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what we've seen from this team so far that leads you to believe they could be perfect in the sense of win losses the rest of the way. I mean, it can happen. Like it should happen. They should be probably favored in those three remaining games, but. Yeah, like you said, Chris, it's kind of a knife's edge that they'll be living on. So that adds a little bit of intrigue, at least for us, for the rest of the season. Um, Bob, you mentioned you know, Jimbo's ego. We're talking about coverage of the team right now. For, for our perspective, it's been an interesting week since last Monday when Jimbo looked around the press conference on, on Monday and asking you know, whether beat reporters had answers. Um, well, not offering us any of his $5.5 million. I mean, if you're going to throw out consulting fees, like, like you know, I'll, I'll tell you what I think. doesn't mean it right because I'm probably not going to be but um, we had that we had the weird exchange between Jimbo and Ira Shafell over at War Chant on after Saturday's game uh, where you know Ira was asking about Jimbo taking up you know some kind of issues with uh, with writers which I was among those uh, and there were plenty of us that wrote that you know FSU quit and, and Jimbo said yeah he, he did take issue with it bringing me to this point for a guy who stresses to everyone in his organization about eliminating the clutter, that considers anything that that make your typing noises, Chris, clutter. That's clutter. Anything that's coming from 24/7, Orchant, Orlando Sentinel, Tallahassee Democrat, whatever, um, it's clutter, and it's something that he wants to eliminate. I have not seen a Florida State football team with players retweet as much nonsense as they've retweeted this year. I know for a fact that there are assistant coaches listening and reading stuff that's being digested consistently, and it's bothering them. Uh, it's just it's, it, there is this hypersensitivity right now with this football program, and I guess that's what comes with losing. But that all stems and trickles down from the main guy in charge. Um, and it's been a weird, weird week in terms of of him being defiant for a guy who's three and five right now to be crapping on the media for implying that a team that went and lost 35-3 to up at Boston College could have possibly quit. I, I, I don't know. I'm, it's, it's just it's strange times. In general, in general, Jimbo doesn't like the media. Let's not mince words. No, he never, he, he never he has. He doesn't like a majority of the people in that room. We all understand it. It's a relationship that has to exist. The issue is when you do beat the drum of eliminate clutter and all this and you're awful at it, it sends a bad message. It is. It's unorganized. Yeah. Yep. The program has a lack of accountability. If you don't want to say your team quit and something happened at BC, mm-hmm. then, then what's the fault that caused the 35-point difference? Mm-hmm. Then, yeah. And, you know, you walk out of there and you say they didn't quit. That's fine. If that's your prerogative, that's what you believe, that's what you took away from you your locker that. room, he then that's fine. Yeah. But and he knows his you don't have accountability do. within your program. Yeah. Do you think players – here's a point that probably will be somewhat contentious if I bring it up. Do you think players find accountability in the off-season program when they work with Vic Valoria? Do you think that processes into the season? Do you think that is currently happening? Is that message being delivered? Results would say 
No, but we're not there to see it. And that's part of the, like, if you want to say, you know, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Well, that's, you're right. <laughs> to okay, the extent. Well, let me continue. Because we're not there. Into the season, when they look at a game and they see how miserable they are in situational football on both sides of the ball, and they go out on Monday to do corrections, mm-hmm. do we see that translate to next week? Not often. Yeah. So at what point in this program is there accountability from anybody other than the head coach yelling at the media, who has no control, actually, over his program. Yeah. Like, I don't care if Jimbo doesn't like me. It makes no difference to me. I'm going to get my paycheck either way, and he's going to get his paycheck either way. It makes no difference. I'm going to write what I think I need to write. I'm going to try to be fair towards his program, his players, especially when I have to go sit and interview those players Monday, Tuesday, and after games. I'm not going to say something to about a player that I'm not going to be able to say to his face. And you know what? Things I write about assistant coaches, if we could actually talk to the assistant coaches, I wouldn't be shy about saying it, saying it to their face either. But that's the situation we're in. If he doesn't like that people are writing negative things about his program, then go put a good product on it. change. Because that's what that. keeps people, people from writing negative things about your program. When you're 3-5 and five and you were 2-5 and five at this point, and you went up to BC and got your ass dragged up and down the field and had 38, points, 38 yards in the second half, People are going to write you quit because they sure as hell look like you quit. And quit, as we've said before, is kind of a loaded It is. Phrase. There's different. And not every yeah. player quit. Derwin James was out there barking at guys yeah. in Chestnut Hill. And there were plenty of other players that you could see visibly were pissed off. But there were also guys chuckling on the sideline in the third quarter yeah. when you were getting it handed to you. It's not good for optics. Yeah. And you know what? Stop worrying about that if you're Jimbo. Worry about beating Clemson. That's Worry what, about playing that's what Clemson. I don't understand And if you go and you roll off, you know, Four straight victories to finish the season and finish six and or I'm sorry, five straight victories to finish the season and finish seven and five and play in a bowl, then make your comments. Then you can thump your chest. But when you're two and five, that comment's unnecessary. When you're three and five because the other team missed a fail goal as time expired, those comments are unnecessary. And if you don't like what the media writes, take it up with them. Take it up with them and individually. Calling Ira out in that setting was sort of bullshit. And you know what? Ira didn't back off what he wrote, and I don't think you're going to back off what he wrote. It's stupid. I just. Why does confrontation in that form and fashion have to exist among adults? If he doesn't like something I write, if an assistant coach doesn't like something I write, they're welcome to talk to me about it. They know my phone number. They can text me. Yeah. I, I for one, I, I, I hate confrontation. But, you know, if someone wants to have a conversation about it, let's have a conversation about it. I think a lot of – I don't want to say a lot. There were some readers and – that wanted, you know, the last Monday when Jimbo was asking for suggestions for for media to jump up and say, well, yeah, here's it, you know, score more points or, you know, fire your coaches. If you think that's a professional way to handle that situation, then you don't have an idea of what professionalism is. Like, that's kind of where, where I'm at with, with that. Um, and I don't think – and Jimbo knew what he was doing. Like, he knew that no one was going to say that um, or else it was going to lead into a confrontation, and that doesn't help anyone that was sitting in that press conference out. Like, that doesn't help – us out as the media it doesn't even really help him out other than deflect maybe i understand you're pissed you don't like people writing stuff about your friends it's negative man you're the highest paid employee in the state of florida like and this beat is relatively like tame considered uh, compared to others it isn't like the new york you know media where we're just jumping on you and making fun of you all the time People are pointing out flaws within the program that has led to uh, really disappointing, maybe one of the most disappointing seasons in the history of college football when you look at what the expectations were ahead and, and where it is now. Man, you just got to kind of either take it or just be, do it more professionally. Uh, and, and by the way, nothing that was said or written is done behind his back or anyone's back because they, like, come in full circle here, 
read everything that we write and hear pretty much everything that we say. The other thing with, with Jimbo is he's going to make these statements in front of the press and try to critique us, but then you know, he can't go back and, and fix what Jacob Pugh said last Monday. I know we recorded the podcast before Jacob Pugh came out and mentioned there was a lack of leadership and it was too late for a lot of guys to step up and try to fix things. And maybe this isn't a fix. Maybe this is just a win and we shouldn't read too much into it as a turning point. But Jimbo has to understand that players are frustrated. Seniors did not expect this season, their last year on campus, to go the way it has gone. So there is a lot of frustration. We can see Jimbo kind of boiling over. and He's trying to be defensive. But I think going after the media, it wasn't just maybe one column either. It was, for example, Ira wrote, you wrote, I wrote about substantial changes needed, and I still feel like it's needed, and obviously Chris still feels like it's needed. If you went through most of the beat, Corey Clark the same way, this is a beat that I think collectively sees things, and maybe Jimbo isn't obviously going to admit them in public for a multitude of reasons. But Jacob Pugh said some things last week that I thought were very eye-opening, Yeah, pulling back the curtain a little bit on the, um, on the frustration overall about how this team has performed, letting these, these really potential wins turn into losses and then letting it snowball. Mm-hmm. I think Jimbo's taking out the frustration the wrong way but I think part of that is just him being dad, being defensive. Yeah, this is him protecting his coaches, right. his players, and, and his program. But he's put himself in this pickle with the one-voice mentality. That's he has. very and true. And the limited yeah, availability right. of players has also put them in a pickle. Because when we only get four players in a week, when a guy like Jacob Pugh says what he says, everybody and their brother is going to ride it. Because, one, it's about the only meaningful thing we really heard last week. And, two, it, well, you know, it is significant. Yeah. So it's sort of like, a, you know – you, you can tell somebody you don't like them a lot, but then when they have the opportunity to voice their opinion or write about your program or have a voice regarding the situation, eh, they're not gonna, really going to you know, lend you a favor. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if it's about, you know, we would be writing about, here, here's the thing, when they're playing well, we write what they're doing well. When they're playing poorly, we write what they're doing poorly. And we also write the opposite side of that, even in those situations. Yeah. Here's something that you can correct. Here's yeah. something that the can be The problem with this team is there's very few things they're doing well. Yes. And that's not me taking a snarky shot. It's true. No, it's your the quarterback, five. The quarterback plays what you would expect of a true freshman. Mm-hmm. The O-line play is poor. It's just bad. The tight end play is underwhelming, and there's not much production there. The receivers have relatively been a mess because of lack of depth and injuries. Auden Tate being out Saturday hurt him. Mm-hmm. Armand Lane's done a nice job stepping in. Um, running back play, Patrick had played well, got hurt, obviously. Akers has played well, guy we can't talk to, but he's done some really good things. Defensively, I would say overall the defensive line has done okay. Obviously, Burns has been sort of missing. Sweat has played better. Naughty has been a bright spot consistently throughout the entire season. Mm-hmm. And Christmas has also played very well. Stats aren't as good as Naughty's, but he's played well. The linebackers, for as much good they do, Oof. they're out of place taking the wrong line, two yeah. filling the same gap. There's a lot of issues with that segment. It's not a First segment, segment that looks good. Three seniors. And the secondary, for as loaded as talent as they have there. Yeah. Gives up a shit ton of big plays. Yeah. I mean, at some point, you just, you know, you can only say a guy is so good when he's giving up 30, 40 yard gash plays or allowing two receivers to have 25 reception combined in a game. You know, you can only paint that pig so many times before it's just got to be ugly. Yep. And the special teams have been good in the sense of kicking the ball, and the Better, return yeah. game has been mm-hmm. a huge glaring issue 
throughout. And DJ obviously came in there and still made a mistake, but it certainly looked more natural to me. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, it's not a matter of we're just writing negative, negative, negative because, you know, we don't want to write anything positive. There's not a whole lot of positive things to point out about this football team. No, and I feel like we we have pointed out the positive and we tried to. It's just, yeah, it's it's a fairly underwhelming – it's a very underwhelming product, to be honest. They scored three touchdowns Saturday on three huge plays, and their offensive production outside those plays is putrid. They had one one drive of substance that produced a field goal on Saturday. Other than that, their offense could not move the damn That's ball. where their offense is. is you, I yeah, think you call the haymaker offense. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fine that that's what you are, but we've had issues with, you know, if that's your identity, that's your identity. Be aggressive and continue being aggressive because I think that's probably what your best bet is. Um, yeah, so it comes down to, like, I understand. Things are pretty toxic and not great on the third floor at Florida State's athletic department right now. That's where the football, football program resides pretty much, second and third floors. And it's just – it's not – it's not ideal um, what's going on. We get it. But, uh, you know, it's just been a strange it's, – it's been a strange reaction and response to, to to get mad at the media, which is it's fine. But remember, we're extension of, like, our fans, uh, of our readers. Like, we a lot of times will ask questions that you guys are interested in. Uh, some of you may not believe that, but we do. We try to write things when you're talking about subjects, things that you want to talk about or want to learn about or something like that. Um, so as I, if you're kind of taking a shot at the media, to me, you're taking a shot at your fan base, uh, whether it's indirectly or not. And that's the great thing about having the media is we're supposed to be punching bags, but let's call that that's what it is, is you're, you're pissed off that people are calling for your coaches. Uh, and I understand you have every right to be pissed off. I think there's just a more professional way to, to go about it. Coaches are paid a lot of money to take the bullets in that sense. Bring your ass down here and say I'm that. just saying, I, yeah. coaches get paid a lot of money because they do work very, very, very hard. They work year-round, mm-hmm. recruiting, coaching. It's a tough job, but they get compensated in an incredibly good manner. And the scrutiny and praise is just going to come naturally with it. You and you're, you're a public figure. I mean, you're paid money by a state unit. In terms of Florida State, you're paid money by a state university. Uh, you're a public figure. You are yeah. a borderline celebrity. Some of you are celebrities, and you're, that's part of what comes with it. It's a reminder, though, like that we're all human. I think that's kind of part of it, too, is it's it's – you're looking about the, the peak, you know, Bob alluded to the, the peak uh, behind the curtain. Like, you know, this stuff obviously is profoundly impacting the coaching staff for, for Jimbo to respond the way he is. And I well, think that's You've seen that's they, fair. they've uh, backed off of recruiting largely to focus on trying to win football games. I, mean, I want That has happened in I, recent weeks. I did want to talk to you about that real quick with, with them backing off recruiting. Is that... I mean, is that part of just for them to focus on winning football I, I games? I think it's the, our sole a, concentration currently needs to be on trying to win football games, trying to game plan effectively enough and practice effectively enough and get it done Monday to Friday. That Saturday is a success. Mm-hmm. And the recruiting is going to be interesting. You know, there's obviously going to be some changes. You know, things oh, are going to shake is up. Is that why you – I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think you're in a rush to bring a kid in to meet a coach that he may not play for. Mm-hmm. But you're also rolling the dice because your window of opportunity with getting that kid in may be very small because of the early signing period. Especially the early signing period, yeah. So, you know, if you make a change December 3rd, you Mm -hmm. know, you basically have less than three weeks of that kid signing early to make that final pitch as compared to getting them in here the first weekend of November, Mm -hmm. which would give you more like a 45-day period. So it's a calculated risk, but the recruiting back off, I think, is largely to focus on recruiting. Or, I'm sorry, focus on on trying to win. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, trying to think, like guys, if there's anything else to go over here of things we've learned um, from that Syracuse game. I mean, I, I think the, as we said earlier, the problems that exist still largely exist. That win doesn't change anything. Uh, if you're a field goal away from that going overtime, then it's just a roll of the dice. It's a 50-50 proposition. 
Uh, you know, earlier in the year, Jimbo said, I think it was maybe two weeks ago, he was asked, I think it was Corey Clark asked him, and I'm going to paraphrase because it's off the top of my head, but he asked if he thought, you know, substantial changes or drastic changes were needed. Yeah. And originally Jimbo said no, and then he kind of uh, But I also think in that conversation forth. that he referenced drastic changes as, like, a coordinator changing in season and therefore the scheme changing, like mm-hmm. going from a 4-3 to a 3-3-5 stack or different things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't think Corey was asking that in-depth of a question. I think Corey's point was more so, you know, walking on six, seven, eight guys, changing it. Is that something mm-hmm. you can believe? And he kind of danced around that, yeah. in my opinion. But I think it's pretty clear from a frustration standpoint, not solely on Jimbo's part, but on the staff's part, that there's going to be some changes. Some will be mutual and some will be not be, more mm-hmm. than likely. But they're a necessity at this point. Yeah, you, your program can't demand the money it does in all forms and fashion. Coach pay, facilities, simple upkeep, trying to keep up with the Joneses. It can't demand the money without the results, mm-hmm. and that's simply how the business works. And Jimbo, more than anybody, probably understands that, even if he's frustrated and won't talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I mean this is a result-oriented business, and it is a business as much as you want to say it is. You know, tied through the state. You know, it is a university. You want to say, you know, student athlete. I mean, this is about winning and we're going to see in the next you know the the final home game and then maybe the second final home game depending and we're going to see you know the the attendance wasn't great for Syracuse it wasn't as bad as maybe we thought it was going to be but man they were the student section was not really engaged and they were not there um you know the Delaware State game I don't know what time that's going to be but it can't be a night game right because of the concert that's not after like I don't think they can it can be a night game so it's I don't know be, if they'll try to pull off the early like late afternoon early evening and then transition right transition into it but you know some what I'm saying is it's not gonna be a night game so it's not gonna be Super Bowl attended part of the reason why they're having that concert is to try to boost the attendance for that game and some of the buzz around it so Parent, uh, parents weekend helped Syracuse that did to that some did. degree but I, I truthfully was surprised by the crowd I yeah. as far as fannies and seats I thought there was about 10,000 more people than that's what I'm saying. I, I was expecting more of an 09 Maryland crowd, which, if you remember, the corners were very rounded in that <laughs> one. And that's what it looked like at kickoff on Saturday. But by the end of the first quarter, it, it actually better. filled in fairly well outside the upper part of the student section in the main body of the And, and maybe sideline. them winning that game, if, if nothing else, kind of salvages some of that. Um, and, and then you look at – but what could be is so you look at game this weekend at Clemson, right? They're what favorite or sorry, not favorite. <laughs> they're uh, the favorite to lose by what? How many? Three touchdowns is it right now, Chris? It, you did something was, on it. It opened at I think nineteen, immediately dropped to eighteen. So there is a decent chance that you, know, you probably will lose that game, and you're going to be favored heavily to lose it. Um, so then you're coming back here with Delaware State after just losing another game, which kind of seems like that's the likely outcome. Uh, yeah, so we're going to see uh, in terms of, of business, and when you talk about business decisions that need to be made sooner or later, uh, you're going to see that attendance a reflection of that. I don't think Jimbo's one to make his hiring and firings based solely on you know fan uh, suggestions because they would have made uh, movements last year if, if a lot of fans had their way. But I do think that that's going to be pretty telling in the next you know, couple of weeks. We're going to see some apathy start to set in, um, and I think that if, if you know Jimbo wants to make changes, and it sounds like some are going to happen organically, some may have to be forced. Um, I think he's going to have support from administration to make changes and to put in the money that's necessary to make some of those changes and some of the buyouts that are going to come with uh, overhauling the staff to an extent because of the apathy that we're talking about. Yeah, and there, there's things you can point to where it can be a quick fix. 
Notre Dame obviously is a fine example of that. But it's it's a limited it's a limited example. There's not a ton of there's not a ton. No, and it's always evolved to die. Sometimes you'll hire a guy who's a no doubt this guy should have been hired, and it just Mm -hmm. doesn't work out. With with Notre Dame, I mean, we should talk about that. That was Brian Kelly from everything I've read and and heard about this situation. I mean, he complete he was a guy that was an ass. Like everyone, he was a well known ass. (laughs) I was told I was told when Florida State allowed uh, Showtime to come in here and and. Do the season a season with part of it is because they made Brian Kelly not look like an ass, and Jimbo and the staff were okay with that because they're like, Oh, is this going to be a, a decent product that's going to show us in a, in a good light? Uh, Brian Kelly had to completely change not just his staff, but wh- how he interacted. Like, he's having breakfast with his players every day, he's doing yoga in the morning. This is a guy who completely has changed who he is. Uh, it's going to take some reflection for the guy up top, and I'm talking about Jimbo Fisher, to change, you know, to understand whether he believes or not he wholesale changes need to be made. Yeah. Again, based on his interaction, his brief interaction with us in the media, this defiance of, of being pissed off and, and resentful for people writing that your team didn't try very hard, didn't look like it tried very hard in the end against Boston College, to me shows that you're not quite there yet. Now, and I'm not expecting change overnight, and you know, that's something that, that we're all constantly trying to evolve and, and grow. Um, but in the situation he's in, in the profession he's in, uh, the pressure that comes under it, like it, there is a need to change, um, and it, there's a lot of pressure to come and to make changes about yourself as a person and continually evolve. And I just wonder how quickly one person, not even just Jimbo, but anyone can can make those changes. How honest can you be with yourself to to do what's needed to better your program and your life? And I I legitimately don't know that. I'm not gonna pretend like I do. I, I think the thing that would benefit Jimbo the most is if. Some of those outgoing guys, you know, the Derwin James who will go pro early, the seniors that will graduate, guys like Naughty, for example, if they're kind of brutally honest with him about where the message connected and where it did not connect and where there was a disconnect and, you know, is this something that has to start with the off-season program? Is this something that has to start with preseason? Where does it have to be altered? Mm -hmm. I think the best thing for Jimbo is basically a fact-finding mission get – get that feedback from the guys who were part of the problem and the guys who will be part of the solution in the future player-wise mm-hmm. and kind of go from there and then go make good hires. Yeah. I mean, he when he came here, he hired a staff that was bloodhounds. Yep. They, they would go out and recruit the best of the best. And you can say what you want about different coaching abilities on that staff, but in general, I think they were very good coaching staff too. And they put together an incredible product very quickly, turned it around, won a national championship, Incredible. Like, if you look at it in the macro version, in a four-year span, they really went from being pretty much a 500 football team to untouchable mm-hmm. and national champions. And pretty much as quickly as that happened, it's now faltered in their fast-approaching 500 again. So at some point, the process and the message all went off tracks. Now you got to figure out how to get back on tracks. And Jimbo's a football guy through and through, and he's a smart football coach. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he's got some personality things like most football coaches do. But at the end of the day, he likes winning a hell of a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think he truly will want to get it back on track. He is one of the best X and O, just seeing the football field yeah. in a way. It, it is, uh, he sees it in a way that I, few do. I do wonder when he talks to us on a weekly basis if he views anything in-season macro. And I don't know if he can, and maybe that's part of it. And we're talking about I whether think he's he has so obsessed with thinking about the play that went wrong, the yeah. quarter that went bad, that last game, and the next game. That I don't know if he ever takes 
like today, if he's going to sit there and take an eight-game view of what this season is. He may not be able to. That may not be like none of us know what that's like. You, you may not be well, able to I, get yourself mentally in, into that. I think it was Thursday. He made a comment essentially along those lines when talking to us about the Heisman trophies up there <laughs> that, you know, you got everybody looks at things in a different way, and that's not how I look at this. I look at this as, you know, getting ready for Syracuse and playing Syracuse. Mm-hmm. So I am interested when, you know, the dust settles on Louisiana Monroe or even a bowl game, how he kind of, you know, how does he? I mean, Goes to the whiteboard and figures it out. I think we're all we all agree. Changes do need to be made. Oh, and it, but it starts with him kind of embracing that, and and I'm not sure whether he's going to be able to, or at least to the extent that's needed, because clearly not a lot needs to change. Talking about just being more positive, <laughs> being more, well, I, I guess looser with with how you operate day to day. Giving more power to people to to trust them more. Uh, there's something like you said, Chris, with the message that just isn't getting through anymore. I think he said he didn't think that was the case. I just I don't know. I think that was a week ago, but, but I don't know. How you can say that the message is clearly getting through at this point. Um, he's a guy that needs to do some reflecting, and that's that's fine. We, we're all at hit points in our lives where we need to do some reflecting on, on where we're at, and especially professionally. And then for him. You know, this is his professional life is much more pressure filled than any of ours. You know, even for us who uh, us through here who you know, have people read our stuff every single day, or for people at home that are listening, you know, his job is going to be more pressure filled than probably ninety nine percent. How he kind of embraces that pressure moving forward, like is he going to be able to to kind of handle it? Uh, we'll, we'll see, but I, I do think changes are needed. And I don't think we're going to see him completely, you know, see what that plan is for at least a little while longer. Yeah, I think, you know, seven years ago, he had to change the culture. And there was a lot of apathy, you know, talking to players in 2010 and 2011. There were a lot of guys who, again, kind of pulled back the curtain and said there were guys who were content with winning some, losing some, going six and six. You know, there were seven and six, I think three out of the last four years under Bowden. There was just a lot of contentment with, you know, 500 is fine, mm-hmm. and and I'll still probably get to the NFL. I think that's that can't be the viewpoint. It has to be more of, you know, this is the expectation to win and to maybe not dominate, but and maybe that's not an expectation anymore with where the ACC has elevated itself to. But Florida State needs to make the most of its opportunities to put teams away earlier in games and not let games go into the fourth quarter, not have – so many horrendous third down situations. They have to. I mean, these games should not be close like they were this year. Florida State is a far better team from a talent personnel standpoint mm-hmm. than NC State. Louisville has a remarkable quarterback, Lamar Jackson. But you know, scrape away Lamar and realize that Jair Alexander didn't play in that game. Florida State really should have won that mm-hmm. game. There are a lot of situations where Florida State should have come through. And we should have seen execution on offense and defense, leadership, better coaching, adapting from the coaching staff, taking away, you know, masking your deficiencies. We talked about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Has Florida State masked its deficiencies enough from a coaching standpoint? I think there are a lot of things that Jimbo has to evaluate. I think it's going to be a very interesting month of December because it's a very tight window. So we talked about with that early signing period, December mm-hmm. 20th through 22nd. So he's got to do a lot of things. He's got a game plan for ULM. He's got to recruit. He's got to hire and dismiss guys. Mm-hmm. And then start preparing for a bowl game, which could be around the 27th, 28th. Yeah. That's a lot of stuff to do while living in your office 
even if you are working 18 hours a day, that's just a crazy timeline. It is, and and those things kind of contradict each other too. Like to get ready for a game in two or three weeks, which is here in the now and the present, even though it's a couple weeks away. Like you're game planning, you are practicing, you have an obligation to the players that are currently, you know, the, the upperclassmen who are trying to finish things off on the right foot, put a little bit more film out there for for NFL teams or for the young guys that you are trying to you know, expand their roles. And we've seen the promise with them in recent weeks. Cam Akers, Hampson Nazardine, um, you know, DJ Matthews. We're seeing some of those guys take on bigger roles, Marvin Wilson. Uh, and then big picture, you know, where's this program going? And, and as Chris alluded to earlier, like you know, that may be tough to do in season. Those things kind of contradict each other to, to an extent. So that's something that is going to be really interesting to, to monitor. And again, I think it comes back to like is Jimbo going to be honest enough and brutally honest enough with himself to begin making the right decisions? And I think we're going to see very quickly, I think the coaching changes that are made or the hires that are made when, when there are inevitably some changes uh, is going to be reflective of where he is right now, of what he thinks his program is and, and the things he needs to do better as a coach. Does he go after these dogged recruiters, these guys that are going to be able to inject some lifeblood enthusiasm into your program? So you're going to go with more of the steady hand with safer options like he has in the last couple of hires that have proven to not really pan out when programs around you have elevated their game and elevated everything around them, Clemson, Georgia, Miami. Um, so it's going to be, this is going to be time for him to be very honest and brutally honest with, with himself and where his program is. Like you said, Bob, there's not, not a whole lot of time to make that, that, those moves, um, and there's not a whole lot of time to do self-reflecting. So we'll see. Like I'm curious, curious to see just how, how much he kind of, I guess, embraces the need for change. Um, real quick before we, we jump off, one positive thing I thought for sure from, from Saturday's game against Syracuse were the true freshmen. Um, yeah. You know, some of that Jimbo kind of planned the seeds with early in the week, saying the guys who want to play are going to play. Some of that that we saw on Saturday was out of necessity where you had, you know, uh, A.J. Westbrook not playing, so Hampson Nazarene gets his first start. But then you integrate you know, Cyrus Fagan into the mix. Um, you know, Hampson, I thought, played actually really – really well given it was his first game he had the the, the confounding play where he <laughs> tries to catch the ball uh, out of bounds and throws it inbounds uh to where it was all of a sudden <laughs> could have been caught uh that, that would have definitely changed up the game before halftime uh you see dj matthews that punt return muffs one but then goes and fields another one and ties it for the longest uh, punt return in the season that was only 15 yards but still you know you see the athleticism there um you are seeing guys that that, that give a damn um and they're young guys that's good that's positive um and do i trust that the way the, the current staff that's intact is going to nurture that kind of you know killer attitude i don't know but but the guys have it and that's something at least to to grow off of right that's something to build on as you look forward like there's a hampson nazardine's a cam Akers. i mean james blackman just got obliterated and kept getting back up there's something there that that if you're a florida state fan i think you have to be pretty excited about what what can be down the road not this season maybe but in a year or two I don't think fans want to hear that to a certain extent no you're they, right they wanted to expect this team to be in a position to, to go to the playoff but at this point you're stuck and we say you are what you are you're you're two and five going into Syracuse and I think it was time I think we talked you know kind of pregame let's see what kind of personnel changes they might make, you know, who might get a little bit more playing time, maybe not who starts. Mm-hmm. And I think Hamsa was, it was an opportunity for him to step in with an injury. And, and now it is a time to get some guys, some valuable, meaningful snaps. They have some game film they can evaluate through the week. They have game film they can go back on and look at in the mm-hmm. off season. So yes, I mean, there are a lot of 
who my coach might be next year, how things might shape up. But these guys can grow and learn. Again, not the position that fans, players, coaches thought this team was going to be in, but at least this is something of a building block for a lot of these guys. Should have happened week two at Louisiana Monroe if everything plays out right, if the season doesn't, doesn't go Getting those guys integrated in. We're having a conversation about some freshmen getting burned, some promising futures. There, there is some, you and know. It, it, it hurts. It hurts building a team because, mm-hmm. you know, you get guys' experience. You get film. You get reps. They get experience. They learn things on the fly. You're going to learn more in a game than you ever learn in practice, but mm-hmm. you're going to learn more in practice after, after your first Because you have something to absorb and yeah. to apply. So yeah. it, it did hurt FSU this year that they didn't get that kind of, it at the did. time, what was considered a game. But Miami didn't get it. And right. they weren't having a break in a true freshman quarterback. UCF didn't get it, and those teams are doing fine. No, I, I get that. I'm not using that as an excuse. I'm not an excuse guy. Come on, you know me. So. Yeah, you are. <laughs> but, I mean, it was good to see on Saturday, but the reality of it is we were supposed to see that, you know, almost two months ago, and because of Mother Nature, it simply didn't happen. And it, it does stymie something. It does. It does. This team has struggled. I, I mean, I just I go I do go back and again. I, you said I didn't want it to be an excuse. I don't think it's an excuse, but I do think it's a reality. Is you lost the Alabama game, and man, that just you had to. That was something you put so much emotionally into the the preparation for that game and what it was going to mean for the program. And then you have to just sit there and let that simmer for two weeks without having a chance to to change it. Like that kind of that kind of impacted this team, and I think more profoundly than any of us could have expected at the time. And it says something about the fragility, I guess, of of where this team was at. at where they were at mentally for that to be able to happen. But, you know, if you don't have a two-week layoff, like, who knows? I don't think this is a 3-5 and five team. I don't think it's a 7-1 you know, team maybe either. Maybe 5-3. and three. Maybe, maybe. And I think getting James Blackman going, him not having to go against the NC State defensive line his first game probably would have helped out. At too. the end of the day, the, the issues are going to still And the issues are still there, and that's and that's entirely true, is that the issues that you have are still there. Um, I, I think we would have – I would have liked to see the freshmen integrated, like Marvin Wilson get more playing time like two or three weeks. I would have liked to see Hampson Nazarene take the, take the lumps, take the growing pains. It was clear after the Boston College game at least, and I guess hindsight being 2020, um, that that those guys needed to see the field because the upperclassmen weren't getting it done. Not all, but there was, there was too many of guys that you expected to have uh, – reasonable growth both emotionally and as as players uh just physically and you haven't seen it which prompted some of the discussion quit yeah yep i, I man you can't get mad at us to say <laughs> that, that there were guys who quit and then you're just unloading true freshmen in there the next week uh in place of guys or at least kind of somewhat supplementing the, the play that they had um you can't <laughs> those two those two concepts are contradicting to each other and i think part of what i wrote I think it was Saturday after Boston College, was not only is it time for substantial change, it is time for Jimbo to evaluate coaches and players on the fly. Mm -hmm. It's time for everybody to play and coach like your job is on the line. I think we need to start seeing, okay, what what players are with me, what coaches are with me for the long haul. It may not be many coaches, but who's who's ready to do the dirty work, who's ready Mm -hmm. to kind of help this thing, Jimbo says, who do you want in the fox? All that, that yeah. was a really interesting thing for him to say. Well, but in a sense, he's 
these war analogies are really silly in football, and I, I don't like it. It's but a battle. He's also sometimes stubborn, allowing people to get into Foxhole with him by sticking with personnel decisions <laughs> that are poor decisions, such could, as Tavares McFadden as a punt returner. Could I throw something out there for, for in terms of the Foxhole? Because uh, when he did say that, I think it was about Keith Gavin last week. That's right. the guy you want the Foxhole with. You know, I don't like the hole. It's easy to make the war analogies with, with football, but it's stupid. But the, the, over, the overriding uh, point well, that like, he's... It's like the, what did Coach tell you at halftime that completely changed what, what, what changed you for you? What was the mood like in the there locker room after? There could be an adjustment at halftime, but it's really, I think, the speech that truly ignites something in you. I mean, you I think it's more so, you know, quit letting this guy run his ass right by you. When <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to think of any speeches that you've given me that have turned things around. You told me to stop being a little bitch one time, and I think that really had a profound effect on me. Because it hurt my feelings for like Got days. Got you to where you are today, which isn't very far. <laughs> a shell of myself. Um, but going to the back to the foxhole, like when this is probably going to be a terrible analogy. When I, when I was a junior in high school, we had a new football coach come in. The team had went 0-10 the year before. And we would actually go to like an army barracks and outside of uh, Camp Landing. Um, or in Camp Landing, it was outside of Stark, Florida. Yeah. Middle of nowhere, we'd go up there uh, every single summer. Um, and the coach had always brought his teams up there. But anyways. Kevin Pettis. Yeah, was co- yep, yeah, Kevin Pettis. now a child. Yep, uh, true. so Mari Gaynor's coach, Trey Pettis, yeah. that was his, his, his dad. And I think um, it's something he still does to this day. I'm not uh, yeah, sure I think he did there was actually a fatality there a couple years yeah. ago, so he may not do it anymore. Yeah, something um, to do with dehydration. Yeah, it, which, you know, that's kind of what the point of that camp was, was to, you know, push you to your limits. And uh, that's digressing. Yes, Um but the point at the time for him was to kind of find out like who was with him or not. And I remember him going through some, someone got in trouble for bringing pornography into the, into the barracks and, and watching it. So he came and confiscated it and then he went around and basically went to each one of us on these tiny little cots and said, you know, I you know, would have you in the foxhole with me. I've had you in the foxhole with me. And there's a few, he said, I don't know about you. I don't know about you. And lo and behold, those guys, he said, I don't know about you were talented. Uh, two of them ended up not being with the team by the end of the year because he didn't trust them. Uh, the fact now to bring this full circle to, to FSU, like you know, FSU's trying to discover who's in the fox. Your Jimbo's trying to discover who's in the foxhole with him. What's this year eight as a head coach? Yep. There's obviously a need for recalibration, uh, yep. and that's what he's telling us. It was pretty clear a few years ago what guys were in the foxhole. Yep. I mean, Telvin Smith, Lamarcus Joyner, this is the ones we love to always bring up. To Jimbo Fisher's there, point, there was no doubt with those guys. And I think mm-hmm. I think there's guys on this team who fit that. I think, yeah. I think Derwin, well, for the most part, fits we, that. We, Naughty, while he's quiet. Fits certainly fits that. Josh action. Sweat is kind of getting into that, and he wasn't before. He, he's turned it around this season as a guy who was kind of apathetic. Yeah. Um, on on tape playing, you know, up until this week with basically one arm taped onto his body has been that we kind saw, of We saw, I mean, guy. Keith Gavin and Armand Lane. I mean, that's, what I, that's what I was going to say is we kind of saw Jimbo go with those guys, go with the dogs, go with the ones who are willing to go in the quote-unquote foxhole with them. Armand Lane and Keith Gavin, you know, Keith Gavin's not 100%, obviously, with that leg far from it. Ramon Lane, we know that he is at wide receiver. Those two guys do give a shit. They give yeah. profound shit, and he was fine with them. You know, okay, we're just going to run the ball with Cam Akers 22 times, and Cam Akers cares. Like, the, the guys who cared were mentally, highlighted. The mentally weak that still bog you down. And yeah. Things are not going you can't, well. And you can't hide everyone, and that shows where this program is that you're trying to hide as many. Yeah. And, and there's some guys that just simply doesn't make sense that at no point have they had the you're sitting this series out. We need to have a talk on the bench. We're going to go let this other guy, who we may not trust a whole lot because he messes up in practice, but we're going to go give him a series. 
And we saw that on Saturday with some of the youngins playing. Mm-hmm. You're going to have mistakes when you play young guys. Yep. But you're also going to motivate the guys that aren't playing very well, that should be playing well because they're not young and inexperienced. And this team, I think there's some you know mentally weak pieces that they had confidence they could rely upon when they walked in the door at the start of the year. There, there's been some development issues that are just really, really kind of surprising. Um, Trey, Mar- Trey Marshall not being an alpha dog, what I thought he was going to be as a as a true freshman. Um, and it's to the point now where I mean, he was kind of a liability against Syracuse. I don't think it's fair to say he's been that all season, but he hasn't been what you thought he was going to be. Um, Tavares McFadden to take the step back from what he finished last year at uh, to a guy that his body language isn't fantastic, and that's fine. Like Everyone's going to respond differently to, to different situations, and you know, you asking everyone to be a rah-rah Telvin Smith isn't going to happen, but he's not going in the right direction production-wise either. That's part of it. There's some other guys I'm missing. I'm not trying to single them out. I'm just trying to think of others that are largely an embodiment, I think, of this season of guys who had so much high expectations for and just aren't living up to potential. And when we go and look back at the season, it's it's going to be a, a year of, of wasted potential. Um, it's going to be the most interesting offseason we've had here because since Jimbo was hired. Yep. And truthfully, I think it might be even more because – we know how good it can be under Jimbo Fisher. We know it can be. And the last time we saw wholesale changes, uh, there was much different circumstances, was going into the 2013 season. Yeah. There is nothing in but life. That was a lot of forward, upward movement. Yeah, That's not the correct. That's the situation. difference. But there's nothing more motivating in life than bringing in new bosses or having young guys light a fire under you uh, professionally. Like that, that changes things and changes work ethic. The difference that I think is there is, is I, mean, I don't know how many times you can do wholesale changes. Uh, so I don't want to say this is the last hurrah, but you have to stick the landing here. You have to make the right hires um, because, like you said, Chris, you know what this can be under him. A failure to maximize potential uh, consistently is, is bringing us full circle at Florida State just isn't, isn't acceptable. Not with the resources that are put in here, and that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah, and the, the window of opportunity is also a little bit more difficult than the last time they went through this. Um, Miami's obviously improved. Clemson's leaped over them in the conference. The bottom is just so much better, too. Yeah, I mean, that's, the, the conference as a whole is more difficult than it was 10 years ago, like without Vir- a doubt. Virginia isn't good, and they have and Bronco Mendenhall is their freaking coach. Yeah. Like, that's a really good coach. Um, and Georgia obviously getting good, I think, is a huge part of it because for years you've kind of mm-hmm. picked on them as far as getting a player or two who helped you be really successful, and that opportunity's kind of vanished with mm-hmm. Kirby getting there, so... Yeah, I mean, there, you can always kind of change where you go and pluck and pull. Yeah. But some of the easy ones that were down the street where you can get guys in here a lot, they're kind of going away, and that, that's going to complicate the situation for them from an accumulation of talent standpoint. Mm-hmm. FSU is always going to be a destination school. Even when they're really bad at the end of the bowling years, they were still a destination school. So it's not like that's going to go away. But there's some uniquely special talents in the world that help you win football games, individually speaking. Cam Akers is currently one Cam of those Akers, guys. Cam Akers, Dalvin Cook, Jameis Winston, you need that I'm guy. I'm of the opinion Justin Fields was one of those type of guys. And, uh, I think know, the coaching staff was too. Somewhere else. <laughs> you gotta you got to hit on those every now and then. Good. Some of those guys are the ones that are going to be the guy in the foxhole that's going to lead other guys into well, the That's foxhole. what Jameis Winston was. Before he got here, I mean, the narrative on this program and the guys, even I mean, the Telvin Smiths, the Lamarcus Joiners, uh, the Timmy Jennergans, like the narrative on them, I mean, they got the ball ran stuff down their throats against Florida. Like the narrative on them was very different than it was after you got this brazen redshirt freshman that was you know, cocky and, and was able to handle Confidence is contagious. Yep, it is. Which? And a loss of confidence 
is also contagious. Which is why this Syracuse win was the turning point, folks. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's uh, probably a good ending point. Uh, With the Knowles 24-7 podcast, I'm Brendan Sinone. Thanks to Chris Nee for uh, keeping the the digits pretty quiet uh, during the podcast. Typing on minimum. Yep, appreciate it. All right, thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk to you next week.